unveiling the secrets A-list copywriters use to make themselves and their clients millions. This is the Copywriters Podcast with your host, the world's greatest copywriting coach, David Garfinkel. Welcome back, copywriters, to the Copywriters Podcast. David, how are you doing today? Doing great, Nathan. How about yourself? I'm doing fantastic. I am super excited about today's episode because this is one of the least talked about, but one of the most important aspects of copywriting. And when you told me yesterday what we were going to be doing, I almost uh, I almost peed my pants in excitement. I'm just going <laughs> to say it. So what are we going to be talking about today? We're going to be talking about depends. No, we're going to be talking. <laughs> <laughs> we're going to be talking about the big idea, and um, uh, let, let me start with this. Um, I'm going to tell you a story. He and his team pretty much redefined the music industry, which I know you come from, Nathan. He also redefined. They redefined the face of personal computing and the way we use our phones. And of course, I'm talking about Steve Jobs. In 2009, that's like almost 10 years ago, right? 2009, Fortune magazine said, the past decade in business belongs to Steve Jobs. In 2017, Recode, which is a tech website, said, no single device will have as much impact as the iPhone in the next 10 years. But don't get me wrong. I don't want to talk about technology or business per se right now. I want to talk about creativity and not just any kind of creativity. I want to talk about that holy grail, whether it's product design, whether it's marketing, or in our case, whether it's copywriting. And that holy grail is called the big idea. Now, Steve Jobs came up with a few big ideas that pretty much changed the course of history on planet Earth forever, right? And I want to read you a quote from a book. This is what Karen Blumenthal wrote. She's a Wall Street Journal reporter, and she's author of a book called Steve Jobs, The Man Who Thought Different. Here's what she wrote. Jobs attributed at least some of the success to the company's intense process of elimination, which meant rejecting far more things than it accepted. Quote, people think focus means saying yes to the thing you've got to focus on, he said, but that's not what it means at all. It means saying no to the 100 other good ideas there are. You have to pick carefully. And, and Nathan, if Steve Jobs left a legacy to the world's future creators of big ideas, those 39 words are it. And I'm going to say them again. People think focus means saying yes to the thing you've got to focus on. But that's not what it means at all. It means saying no to the 100 other good ideas there are. You have to pick carefully. That's, those are pretty profound words. So that turns what most people think about focus and big ideas on their head. And so... Today's episode is about big ideas in copywriting, what they are and how to come up with them. And I'm not sure we're going to get all this in one episode. We'll see. But we will cover all those things, even if it takes more time. And before we get into that, I have a big idea for everyone listening. Here it is. Copy is powerful. You're responsible for how you use what you hear on this podcast. And most of the time, common sense is all you need. But 
if you make extreme claims and or if you're writing copy for offers in highly regulated industries like health and finance or business opportunity, you may want to get a legal review after you write and before you start using your copy. My larger clients and some of my really smart, smaller clients do this all the time. Okay, so let's continue. Can I interject real quick? Of course. I want to just kind of take it back to Steve Jobs to kind of give people maybe a little bit of idea because I think when we were talking about this yesterday, before I even read your notes, we were talking and I said that I feel like the big idea is kind of like the, the holy grail of copywriting mm-hmm. because it's, it's just, it's one of those things that only really master copywriters and really master marketers can even, can even do. And I think it's something that just completely gets neglected by probably 90, 95% of the copy that I see out there. Um, or it's done poorly, at least. Uh, when it comes to Steve Jobs, he's often cited as one of the guys that really came up with uh, one of the most powerful big ideas when he was talking about the iPod, and that's just the the uh, ten thousand songs in your pocket that, mm-hmm. a- as a way to sell that when everybody else was selling this much storage and 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 uh, this type of audio quality and he was like yeah you got 10,000 songs in your pocket and that really helped people understand what the the promise what the big idea of what he was bringing to the market was and uh, I th- I think that um it was great that you started off with him because he's one of the guys that really exemplified what a big idea in marketing or in copywriting was yeah I I agree with you I'm really glad you brought that up because 10,000 songs in your pocket is copy, right? That's that's words used to sell a product. And yeah, I mean, he was a genius and he was good at coming up with big ideas at multiple levels. Um, so that's perfect. And we're going to have, you know, a lot of examples today of, that are more traditionally copy. But, but absolutely, no. I want to point something out about what uh, you just said. 10,000 songs in your pocket, you know, someone can listen to this and go, what's so great about that? You know, 10,000 songs in your pocket, whether like five words, uh, one number and four words. I mean, well, here's what's great about it. No one else thought of it. And it's the perfect thing to say to make people buy this weird looking thing with a knob on it. And it, you know, led to the iPhone, what led to the iPad, led to all kinds of stuff, right? And so it's it's zeroing in on that one idea after you've thrown out the other 100 good ones, um, that the one that works, you know, um, one thing I want to say about a big idea is a, a big idea can change a market, not only change a product, but change the way the world looks at something. And, and what you just brought up is a perfect example. So I'm really glad you did. Yeah, because he wasn't the first one to bring an MP3 player that you could put in your pocket to the market. There was lots of companies trying to establish that market and failing. And uh, he, he was just the one that said, okay, we've got something very similar, but we're going to pitch it as 10,000 songs in your pocket. And it just now iPod and iPhone are synonymous with pocket media players. I mean, 
They weren't the first, but they were definitely the one that brought the big idea to the marketplace. Yeah, you're right. It, it the big idea becomes a viral idea, um, a mind virus, um, not not a not one that causes disease, but just one that sticks and spreads. Uh, wh- what is this thing we're doing called? A podcast. Where do you think the word pod came from? There you go. I, right. Yeah, exactly. So, yeah, huge. Okay. So uh, let me let me start with talking about creativity, probably in a way you've never heard before. And I'll say that because I heard it uh, about two or three days ago from somebody who I think came up with it on the spur of a mo- on the spur of the moment to to explain a situation quite different from the one that a good copywriter finds themselves in. Um, this is a guy, you and I have talked about him. His name is Jordan Peterson. He's a professor of psychology in Toronto. Uh, very popular, quite controversial politically, but most of his work is not political. And he was talking about people who have the personality profile of an artist. And I think he was talking more about a painter or a musician um, but also maybe an entrepreneur, an engineer, someone who creates things as opposed to someone who runs things or maintains things. You know, copywriters are certainly in that category. And he was explaining it in in terms of a, a really cool metaphor that I had never heard before that I really like a lot. He said, if all of humanity was on one big island, surrounded by water, of course, surrounded by the ocean. The majority of people, or we can say the people who aren't especially creative or the people who might be creative but don't make their living, don't have their soul identity, their focus, their activities and creativity, those people would be more towards the center of the island and they would be in the present moment. As you move out towards the edges, towards the shore, towards the ocean, that's where you find the artists. And he said, what the artists do is they look out into the ocean, which is not structured, ordered present day reality, but potential, maybe even chaos, but they see ideas from the future and they bring them into their artwork. And like, let's, let's take a a painter. That's a um, very visualizable concrete example. So a painter may see a, a new form or a new idea and the painter will um, create that as an artwork. And there's a very good chance that person won't make any money with it, but maybe 20, 30, 50 years after their time, they will be recognized as a visionary. Um, and I, I, I want to point something out in, in relationship to the big idea, because a big idea is something a creative person comes up with that makes a lot of money now as opposed to 30 or 50 years. So why doesn't the artist make money? And I, I have a a hunch. I, I'm not an expert on selling art, but I think it is for these reasons, either they're so far ahead of the times that they're producing something the market doesn't want yet. Okay. So that's a problem. They're creating future money with their paintings or, they're producing things the market never will want. So they have great ideas, but no one's going to spend any money for them. 
Or maybe they're producing something the market wants, but they're not skilled at marketing and selling what they have. And that's a, that's a big problem, not just for painters, but for a lot of people, people in business, inventors, a lot of creative people. But it is something the market would want if they knew about it and had it sold to them in an appealing way. So the the whole point of that is is not to tell parents to discourage their kids from being painters or <laughs> anything like that. The the point of that is that when you're doing this kind of creativity, um, you are at the edge, looking into the future and and bringing new ideas from the future into the present. And how how this applies to copywriters and how this applies to the big idea is that an experienced and skilled copywriter, and I'm saying experienced and skilled, someone who's been around the block and, and taken a few knocks and had a few wins and had a few losses and knows the difference, um, knows how to mitigate risk, someone like that can stand at the water's edge and get a sense of what's next in the culture in the marketplace. And, and then they can come up with a creative idea that can boost sales big time for a product. Remember Steve Jobs almost went broke and you know got kicked out of his company. He'd been around for a while before he came up with 10,000 songs in your pocket, mm-hmm. right? I think also um the thing that kind of defines artists that make it versus artists that don't or uh when it comes to your specific example of of copywriting and marketing um is the the drive to actually have the response from the market a lot of people are just afraid a lot of especially creative people they want to create but they're afraid to have the marketplace judge so they never even go out there and test the waters which you're saying is very important Uh, i think a lot of artists i know myself because i came up kind of in the in the music arts and the visual arts community a lot of artists are just terrified of testing those waters as far as market response yep Yep, absolutely. And and they'll tell all kinds of stories like, well, I don't want to compromise my integrity and so forth. I, I don't know. I think it's very low integrity not to pay your bills, too. And <laughs> and and I'm I'm not I'm not trying to be disrespectful to people who have that idea, but sometimes I think if you're an artist you need to look at the big picture, not not just, you know, what you do with your hands. But in in any case, True or not, what I'm saying, what you're saying is absolutely true. They they are afraid to engage with the marketplace, and often it is because they will be judged. And you know what? Guess what? You will. I I, I want to tell you about a thread I saw in, in a forum on Facebook this morning. And so <laughs> some guy said, David Garfinkel's podcast, which I do not love, and then he proceeded to, um, you know, uh, cut and paste notes from one of the podcasts. All right. What, what, what can you do? And then right underneath it, there was a guy who said, I love David Garfinkel's podcast. I'd like to have him as a guest on my podcast. So as you start to reach out there in the marketplace, you're going to get slings and arrows as well as, you know, bouquets and attaboys. I mean, that's just the way it works. It's, um, I mean, it, you you might think there are people who are universally loved, but you just don't know what their lives are like. It's not true. <laughs> yeah, and I think to to get the the bouquets and the attaboys, it's just the the slings and arrows come along. It's a package deal. It is. It is. 
So, so uh, let's. I'm sorry to divert. Well, no, it's a it's a really good it's a really good point because just getting back to the Steve Jobs thing, and we'll get into this more, but just to you know make a point, you're going to have to deal with multiple ideas, maybe not a hundred. You're going to have to deal with multiple ideas and reject some of them, and they may be perfectly good ideas but you'll find the best one and everything else goes by the wayside. It's not a negotiation or a compromise or everyone wins the trophy. It's pretty much winner take all and the rest. Sorry, you know? So, um, yeah, I mean the the, the process of coming up with a big idea can be internally or socially brutal. Okay. That's, and it doesn't have to be, but it can be, you have to be prepared for that. So, Let's again, we're talking about copywriters, and a, a skilled copywriter can do this. Now, for people who aren't creative at all, they might believe that, you know, Hollywood myth that creativity is what happens when a lightning bolt hits somebody's brain and, oh, wow, I have this great idea. Doesn't exactly work that way. Um, but there's an important distinction I want to make. Um, not, I don't think it was you. I was, no, it wasn't. I was, I was, Oh, it was a it was a client, a very intelligent client who also creates creates products as well as writes copy. And he was thinking a big idea was a new formulation of a product. And I said, sure, but not 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 in this sense, not in what we're talking about today. It's not the copywriter making up a new product. And most importantly, and and this is a mistake that some beginners make or or some people who are more committed to branding or imposing their will on the market, um, a new idea is not the copywriter making up a brand new desire in the marketplace that he or she came up with in some brilliant flash of random creativity. That's not what a big idea is about. The big idea is the involves the copywriter selling an existing product or a new product based on existing, predictable, and largely unchanging desires in the market. And this is a hard concept for people to grasp sometimes, but um, I'm going to talk about Eugene Schwartz, who wrote Breakthrough Advertising in a bit, and, and he points out that there are certain desires that are consistent over years, decades, centuries, millennia in in humans. Um, they don't change the the way they might get packaged or satisfied in a product might change, but the desires are the same. So what's new about a big idea? It's not about deciding that somehow, you know, all of a sudden, humans are interested in advanced mathematics because most of us aren't interested in advanced mathematics. What's new is the way the copywriter came up with to get to the prospect's interest and sell the product a way that already taps into existing desires. Okay. Um, we'll get more specific. That's that's kind of abstract and highfalutin. I realize it. But the, the thing is, the big idea is the way you sell it. It's not what you're selling. It's the way you sell it. Just like you were pointing out with, with the iPod um, to, to beat this thing into the ground. The, the iPod was really nothing new. It was an MP3 player with headphones that was portable. Uh, yeah, a lot of them. But the way they sold it, 10,000 songs in your pocket. And there were some features of the iPod that were different. But 
Same, same basic idea. People like to hear music, basic desire. People like to have that quasi-religious experience when they hear music. If you take that one, that goes back, you know, um, before the birth of Christ or before the common era, right? Mm-hmm. Um, but, you know, they didn't have iPods in uh, ancient Rome, <laughs> as far as I know. Okay, so um, here's what a big idea is. A big idea is a concept. It's maybe a headline. It's maybe a tagline. It's um, maybe something else, but usually words and something that's so fresh and so original that it can redefine an industry or start a new one by itself. Okay. Yeah. I I think uh, I just want to give a second to the listener to let that set in. It's an idea that can redefine an industry or start a new one by itself. Right. And so uh, now about, about Gene Schwartz and the, this is, I'm going to quote from the introduction to his book, Breakthrough Advertising. My book is Breakthrough Copywriting. His is Breakthrough Advertising. Breakthrough Advertising, he talks about copy that opens up an entirely new market for an existing product. And now we can get a little more specific. And I made up some ideas, might become big ideas, but if you were a betting person, I wouldn't bet on these. But they're, they're, they're good enough for... They're good. They're cool enough for school. They're good enough for a podcast, but I'm not sure they would work in the marketplace. But but here's an idea um, of how to use copy to open up an entirely new market for an existing product. Nathan, you know those things that that people ride around. They look like sort of giant scooters. They're called segways, and they're yeah. self-propelled. Okay. Yeah, I see the security guards at the mall ride around on them. Right. Okay. So imagine you came up with a pitch to sell segways to golfers to use on the golf course instead of golf carts. There are about 25 million golfers just in the U.S. alone. Now, if that worked, that would be a big idea. Does that make it a little clearer? Yeah. And if somebody takes this idea and runs with it, where should they send the royalties to you? Um, well, um, I, I have a little LLC called Garfinkel Holdings, so they can, they can, uh, send a check to Garfinkel Holdings in San Francisco. Nice. Okay. Yep. Okay. Um, here's another one. Uh, oh, so Gene says he's actually talking about breakthrough advertising, but it's the same thing. Breakthrough advertising in is a big idea. He says copy that gives an old product, a brand new slant. So. Here's an example. Uh, did you ever have a ha- did you ever have a fax machine, Nathan? Uh, we I, at some of the businesses I worked at, yes. Okay. Uh, do you have one now? I don't have one now. No, nobody really faxes very much anymore. Right. So imagine you could come up with a a whole new trend, a whole new system, a whole new uh, reason to sell faxes again, like. Bring back fax machines as a way to foil hackers. Oh yeah, see that that right there. It, it's it's an almost dead industry, but that one that one benefit of being able to foil hackers could, if it was pitched properly, it could probably bring that industry back to life. Yeah. Now I I know that the um, 
we have a few geniuses in Silicon Valley that listen to this podcast, and they're going to point out that it would be very easy to decode the auditory signal that the fax makes, and you could hack that too. So forget it. Don't don't tell me. I already know that, but I'm just <laughs> trying to use this as an example. Okay. Um, here's here's another way a big idea could work. It could be, but this one's a mouthful, and Gene almost never says a mouthful. But uh, so I'm going to read this twice. Copy that provides a competitively battered product, a new weapon, not only to protect itself against its imitators, but actually damage or destroy the loyalty of its competitors following. Well, rather than read it again, this means you got a you got something that's been knocked off its pedestal. You got a product that has been damaged. It used to have 50 or 90% of the market. Now it, it, it may be, you know, the company may be in bankruptcy or something. And a new idea not only protects it, raises its market share, but it actually switches people over from the competitors back to the original product. Is, is that clear as a concept? Yeah. So what would be an example of that? Okay. Remember the BlackBerry smartphone? You know, little <laughs> so somebody came up with an idea to make the BlackBerry the only smartphone people wanted to buy. iPhones are no longer cool. Androids are no longer cool. Just Blackberries. That that would be that kind of big idea. Gotcha. I don't I don't think it's gonna happen, but um that's just an example. Okay. So uh, again, and this is this is just so crucial. A big idea is not necessarily about coming up with a new product idea, and it's probably not about that. It's more about coming up with a breakthrough copywriting idea, whether the product is brand new or well-established. Okay? Okay, so the big idea is not specifically about the product itself, but about how the product is sold. Exactly. Exactly. That, that's really well-stated. So moving on. What happens when you have a big idea? What what can it do in business, in the marketplace, in from a marketing point of view? Well, here's one thing. A big idea can be something that dominates an industry, dominates an industry. For example, um, you know that letter that Martin Conroy wrote, the Wall Street Journal, Two Young Men letter? Mm-hmm. One late, beautiful June afternoon at a reunion, there were two men. No, it wasn't a reunion. It started out with a college graduation, and then he fast-forwards 25 years later, and they're at a reunion of the that class, and there are two guys. Maybe they were roommates, or they were about the same height, and you know, same haircut, and same intelligence, same grades. And They started out on an equal playing field and ended up with vastly different results absolutely one is the ceo and one is a guy who works for him as a department manager and what's the difference well the ceo read the wall street journal mm-hmm. and and the other guy i don't know maybe he was reading the national Enquirer or something so <laughs> <laughs> he definitely was not listening to the copywriters podcast that's for sure no, and 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 let that be a lesson to everyone else. So, <laughs> so um, now, okay. What are the Wall Street Journal's competitors? Uh, well, these days, Investors Business Daily. But in those days, I don't think Investors Business Daily was even around. I think they were Forbes and Fortune and Business Week. 
mm-hmm. right? They were business magazines, and it wasn't it wasn't the fact that the Wall Street Journal came out every day, and and the other ones came out once a week or once a month or every two weeks. It it was the fact that in the marketing, as far as I know, nobody else implied that if you read this publication, you'll become the CEO. But if you don't, you're going to be stuck in middle management. I mean, they never said it outright. They never said, we guarantee that, you know, or we promise you, or don't you, you know, as people picked it up, they, they didn't need a whole lot of prodding or hints. Um, okay, now, why do I say dominate an industry? Well, it just so happens that letter, which we will call an ad for the purpose of, of, of this statement, that letter made more money tracked made more money in selling subscriptions at Wall Street Journal than any other ad in the history of advertising. It made $2 billion. Yeah, that's crazy. Yeah. And it's just, it's just one letter, and it had that, that big of an impact on the market. Right. And so when I said earlier that a big idea might be a headline, well, in this case, I think the big idea was a story. It was, um, you know, a, a, a story about two young men, one succeeded vastly more than the other one did. And so most of the time it's not a story, but it, it can be, it can take a lot of different forms. The, the core thing is not the form in which the big idea is expressed. The core thing is the idea itself. Yeah. Mm-hmm. It was, it was the, um, it was kind of like the overall message that, that the reader went away with after reading that letter that the wall street journal can be the difference between working in the in the mail receiving department versus working as the CEO for the same company. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, that's a pretty powerful big idea. You know? Yeah. Think about it. It it is. I mean, if, if somebody's anxious, anyone working in the corporate world is probably anxious about where they stand in the pecking order and where they're going, right? That's that's part of the game to have a corporate job. Uh, and you know, suddenly all you have to do is read this newspaper every day and your worries are over. Wow. (laughs) (laughs) Okay. Um, so let's look at another thing a big idea can do. And that is a big idea can turn a niche product into a mass market product. So as you probably know, I do a lot of work for Agora financial, um, as, as a copywriting coach and consultant. And one of the Agora Incorporated companies, they have a, a sister company or a brother company or affiliate company. They like to call other ones affiliates. And it's not like affiliate marketing. It's just sort of like they're affiliated with them. Stansberry and Associates. That they're, they're another Agora company in Baltimore. And they, they put out investment newsletters and advisory services. Uh, to inv- private investors, and they have a they have a copywriter who many people consider the best or one of the best copywriters in the world who's working now that Gary Bensavenga is retired, and this guy's named Mike Palmer. Uh, Mike wrote something a few years back. It was a sales letter to sell one of Stansberry's newsletters, and it was called "The End of America." I don't know if you remember that. Oh. This campaign was actually one of the campaigns that really made me start taking notice to marketing and copywriting because I was D 
deep in that world of of uh preppers and um quasi conspiracy theorists and i remember watching the end of america and going through that whole thing and and having the way that i viewed marketing and advertising completely changed by this this campaign well yeah that that's good i mean so there's a little bit of backstory to this the the main idea was that because of the economic policies of the federal government or the federal reserve because of economic trends the us dollar which up until then had been the world reserve currency and that means that it was the yardstick so you would say you know a canadian dollar is worth 75 us cents or a mexican peso is worth you know so much money or you know the euro is worth everything was denominated compared to dollars and that's called being a reserve currency they they said there would be an economic disaster in the united states or that the world would decide not to use the dollar as the reserve currency anymore and that would cause an economic disaster in the united states and you know bread would cost twenty dollars or for a loaf or something like that i i don't i don't remember the the details you probably do but the the point is he came up with this big idea which he encapsulated in the phrase the end of america and they used that to sell a newsletter which was actually about other financial topics besides the fed and and the reserve currency and it was so big see see Financial newsletters are a niche product. They are a gigantic niche, but they're they're generally limited to direct mail on the internet. This one got so big that I remember driving around hearing ads, hearing ads for the sales letter, ads for the sales letter on satellite radio. Um, certainly, I heard it on Bloomberg, which is a, a business news satellite radio channel but i may have heard it on on other ones too and that so what happened is is stansbury and this newsletter and particularly this big idea went took them from niche to quasi mass market right and and you heard of it and i mean how did how did you come across it do you remember oh yeah it was all over the place it was on coast to coast it was on the alex jones show it was on Fox News. It was anywhere, like you said. It, it, it was a it was a pitch for a pitch <laughs> for mm-hmm. a newsletter that would typically be very exclusive in who would who would be uh, reading it. But it was it was so successful that inside of that particular niche audience, and it was so successful in um, in the mass market that I I. I can't even think of radio shows or um, alternative media that wasn't uh, that wasn't pitching mm-hmm. their own specific URL. End of America forty five dot com. End of America thirty eight dot com. It was everywhere. I remember that they they would add a number onto the URL so they could track it. And so, okay, I don't know how big it was. I know I know it was huge for them. Um, I'm sure it was. An, an eight-figure or high seven-figure business, but I, I really don't know. And if I did, I couldn't tell you that would, it would be proprietary. But what I what I 
I don't even know this, but I'm pretty sure about this. When, and and this is going to segue into our our next segment, and we we may need to do a second podcast because I'm looking at the time. We're we're already over time on our first one, but Mike Palmer, he's so good. I mean, this wasn't his first Grand Slam home run. He's so good that he gets to take six months to come up with a big idea, and he. Well, we'll 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 talk about how you how you do it, but I'll I'll give you the um, short version right now. He would read. He maybe read twenty five books. They weren't all about the Federal Reserve or reserve currency. Uh, he may have been reading books about evolutionary biology or astrophysics or. Um, you know, cultural waves about the millennials and the baby boomers and the Gen Xers. I don't know what he read. All I know is that he spent a lot of time. And I'll also say it's very likely that he had other ideas that would have been big hits that he rejected. He took all of these things that he read and he would come up with an idea that was good. Just like Steve Jobs said, right? You know, you have a hundred good ideas that you ignore to focus on the one idea that you're going to focus on. So why don't we, why don't we wrap this up here, Nathan, and, uh, and continue in our next podcast next week on how you actually create a big idea, because I've got some really good stuff for that. Yeah. So I'm just going to kind of encapsulate everything that we went through and, and just reemphasize the big idea is really exactly what it sounds like it's the big idea it's the it's the story or the idea that you use to sell something rather than the something itself that you're selling absolutely that's that's a really good encapsulation <laughs> all right <laughs> well copywriters we will be back next week and we will we've kind of i think we did a really good job of explaining what it is and next week we're going to jump into how you go about accomplishing it. Sounds great. See you guys next week. Make sure to subscribe, rate, and review on iTunes so you never miss an episode. Hey, let me ask you a question. Does it take you too long to write your copy? And if it does, have you ever wished you had a proven system to write it faster? Well, if that describes you, then you'll want to know about high-speed copywriting. This is a home study program that has helped a lot of people write profitable sales letters in as little as five hours. No, it's not a bunch of shortcut tricks that leaves you with cookie-cutter sales letters that people can ignore. It's about writing full-fledged, memorable, response-getting sales letters much faster than it usually takes. It's tested and proven, too. High-speed copywriting will ease you through putting together an original, powerful sales letter and putting it together in record time. You can find out more at highspeedcopywriting.com. By the way, this is one of the very few programs that Bond and Kevin Halbert have given their Halbert seal of approval to. So check it out today, highspeedcopywriting.com.